Greetings, everyone. The Bible speaks of a new covenant as contrasted with the old covenant, the covenant that God made with Israel at Mount Sinai. Is the new covenant the antithesis of the old, as many seem to believe, is a different law in effect under the new covenant that abrogates the Ten Commandments? Is the new covenant based on a vague, ill-defined law of love, so-called, void of concrete principles governing behavior? Does the new covenant allow us to substitute human tradition in place of God's commandments regarding how to worship him? Many have stumbled and fallen into error because of confusion about the new covenant, understanding the truth about the relationship between the covenants and particularly about the new covenant should be encouraging and a sound and proper understanding of the truth about the covenants, in particular the new covenant, may preserve you from potentially fatal deception. We read in Proverbs chapter 2, Proverbs 2 beginning with verse 11, understanding will keep you to deliver you from the way of evil from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. So proper understanding of this and other questions can help preserve us spiritually and preserve our lives in terms of eternal salvation. Today I want to discuss the New Covenant in particular, and I want to especially focus on the matter of how the law of God relates to the new covenant. There are many more scriptures in the Bible that deal with the new covenant than most people, even most students of the Bible, realize. And many of these scriptures are in the Old Testament. Today I want to examine some of the scriptures shedding light on this subject. First, before we launch into our subject, I want to mention a basic principle of sound exegesis or Bible study aimed at understanding what the Bible actually teaches. The principle is one widely recognized, if not always practiced by Bible scholars. It's let the Bible interpret the Bible. We ought to examine the context of specific scriptures, gather and compare all the scriptures on a given subject, use clear passages to interpret and provide an understanding of those that are more difficult. And if you fail to follow this approach faithfully, you can easily fall into traps that will lead you astray. Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 28, beginning with verse 9, he wrote, Whom will he teach knowledge, and whom will he make to understand the message? those just weaned from milk, those just drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. But the word of the Lord was to them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and caught. Now, you may have heard derisive comments about this scripture and what it means. 
but rest assured this is indeed a sound, even essential principle of biblical understanding, and it's one wise, widely recognized, if not always followed by many conservative biblical scholars. The Angus Green Bible Handbook, for example, says, quote, theology is the whole meaning of scripture, the sense taught in the whole of scripture, as that sense is modified, limited, and explained by scripture itself, end quote. The same further source further states, again quoting, compare scripture with scripture. It is by the observance of this rule alone that we become sure of the true meaning of particular passages. And above all, it is by this rule alone that we ascertain the general teaching of scripture on questions of faith and practice. End quote. From Vine's Expository Dictionary, we read this statement. Quote, a passage in which the idea is expressed briefly or obscurely is explained by those in which it is fully or clearly revealed, and difficult and figurative expressions are explained by such as are proper and obvious. In the introduction to the 1985 Thomas Nelson edition of Vine's Expository Dictionary, we read it has been often been said that the best commentary on scripture is scripture itself. And I want to correct myself, the uh, previous uh, passage I read was, was also from the Angus Green Handbook. But uh, Vine's Expository Dictionary states that it has often been said that the best commentary on scripture is scripture itself. And then the author goes on to explain how this principle applies to Hebrew word studies. Many of us have proven the value of this principle concerning interpreting the Bible in our own studies of the scriptures and the opinions of others are not needed to convince us of its validity. Guided by the Holy Spirit and applying with increasing skill and consistency, the principle in question along with other valid principles of Bible study, we can grow ever stronger and more secure in our understanding of God's word and it can help clear up much of the confusion that many people feel when they read the Bible. Matthew Henry's commentary on the whole Bible is illustrative of the view that to the entirety of verses 9 through 13 of Isaiah 28 are the words of Isaiah. He states correctly the sense of verse 10, saying, quote, for our instruction in the things of God, it is requisite that we have precept upon precept and line upon line, that one precept and line should be followed and so enforced by another. The precept of justice must be upon the precept of piety and the precept of charity upon that of justice, end quote. And so in understanding the new covenant, as well as many other biblical subjects, we need to apply these principles. The scriptures we'll examine today will help us understand better the new covenant, particularly in relationship to the law of God. And we will see that what Paul wrote in the New Testament about the new covenant is based solidly on the teachings of the scriptures of the prophets, prophets who lived during, quote, Old Testament times. With a view in mind of letting the Bible interpret the Bible, let's turn now to Jeremiah 31 and verse 31. We'll read several verses here, beginning with verse 31 of Jeremiah 31. 
Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. So here we have two covenants mentioned, and the first one was the covenant made with Israel when God led them out of the land of Egypt, the, what's sometimes referred to as the Old Covenant. And then another covenant that would be made later. And note that both of these covenants we read in the context are made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. The house of Israel and the house of Judah to become a party to the new covenant one must become, as other scriptures show, spiritually a member of the house of Israel. One must become spiritually a Jew. And this tells us something important. The question of the new covenant is not how may Jews and Israelites become Gentiles, but how may Gentiles become Israelites and Jews spiritually. Jesus said salvation is of the Jews in John 4 and verse 22. And Paul wrote that the covenants, plural, the covenants pertain to Israel in Romans 9 and verse 4. In Zechariah 8, this is a prophecy for the future. And Zechariah 8, beginning in verse 22, it says, Yes, many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from every language of the nations shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man, saying, Let us go with you, for we've heard that God is with you. So this is after Jesus Christ returns to establish his throne on the earth, ruling over the nations, and people of other nations will seek God in Jerusalem, and they will seek guidance and leadership from Jewish people because they will have already had a, an established relationship with God at the time of the fulfilling of this prophecy during the millennium when the new covenant is being implemented with the physical peoples of Israel and Judah, the Jews will lead Gentiles to God, not vice versa. And notice that there are two cardinal points to the new covenant. As we read, God will put his law in their minds and write it on their hearts and secondly, he will forgive their sins. And it's not forgiveness of sins only. It is writing God's law in their minds and on their hearts, along with the forgiveness of sin. And neither of these stands alone, but one goes hand in hand with the other. In Hebrews 8, beginning with verse 7, Hebrews 8 and verse 7, if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, 
Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will, that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. And notice again, the covenant is made with the house of Israel. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor, none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. In that he says, A new covenant he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So again we see here in what these scriptures that Paul quoted that God will write his laws in their minds and on their hearts and that he will be merciful to them and forgive their sins. In Jeremiah 32 beginning with verse 30 Jeremiah 32 and verse 30 it says because the children of Israel and the children of Judah have done only evil before me from their youth for the children of Israel have provoked me only to anger with the work of their hands, says the Lord. For this city, speaking of Jerusalem, has been to me a provocation of my anger and my fury from the day that they built it, even to this day. So I will remove it from my face because of all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah, which they have done to provoke me to anger. Their, they, their kings, their princes, their priests, their prophets, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And they have turned to me the back and not the face, though I taught them rising up early and teaching them, yet they have not listened to me to receive instruction. But they set their abominations in the house which is called by my name to defile it. And they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire to Molech, which I did not command them, nor did it come into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city, of which you say it shall be delivered into the hand of, uh, of which you say it shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon by the sword and the famine and the pestilence. Behold, I will gather them out of all countries where I have driven them in my anger, in my fury, and in great wrath. I will bring them back to this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely. Then they shall be my people, and I will be their God, and I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from doing them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. So he's talking about a new covenant and he will put his fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. But before that, he speaks of punish them, punishing them with captivity because of their evil deeds. God promises punishment, prophesies punishment for doing evil 
for rejecting him, for serving the gods of the nations around them. And this prophecy, like many others, has a dual fulfillment, a former and a latter-day fulfillment. A modern-day captivity awaits the peoples of Israel and Judah as punishment for their sins. Even though God has greatly blessed us in recent uh, decades and especially the last couple of centuries, people may wonder why America has been so abundantly blessed and what is it that we've done to merit these blessings or to cause them to come to pass. Well, what really has happened is that God has put his blessing on these people in this latter day and he is the one who has given us these blessings. But he is also, I'm quite sure, as the Bible tells us, very much provoked by the evils that we are perpetrating in our nations. And the Bible tells us that we will be punished as a people for these sins. But then God promises to gather the people together again as his people. Now this has not happened yet in full. Part of Judah was brought back out of captivity under the Persians after their captivity in the 6th century B.C. But Israel was never led out of captivity and restored to the promised land in the manner prophesied. A portion of them did return to Israel for a short time during the reign of Josiah, but they soon left and most of the Jews remain scattered as well as they are to this very day. But notice in this prophecy, God is under the new covenant going to give them one heart and one way and it won't be that some will keep the Sabbath and some not. Some will be keeping the holy days we see outlined in the Bible and some not doing that. Some eating unclean meats and some not and all kinds of other confusion and different uh, practices among the people supposedly serving God but all will have one heart and one way and they will keep that way and the fear of God will be in their hearts that's what the prophecy tells us what does it mean to really fear God that is to have a deep reverence and respect for God and stand in awe of God Deuteronomy 10 Beginning in verse 12, Deuteronomy 10 and verse 12, we read, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. Indeed, Heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God and the earth with all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them and he chose their descendants after them you above all peoples as it is this day. Therefore circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. So we see that in the context of fearing God is walking in God's ways, keeping God's commandments his statutes and circumcision of the heart is what God had in mind from the beginning not just having God's laws in 
a book or on a tablet of stone, but being circumcised in the heart, which have, means having a heart that is purified and cleansed through the power of the Spirit of God. It means loving God, serving Him, keeping His commandments. That's what fearing God implies. And Paul understood very well that being circumcised of heart means to keep the commandments of God, as we will see later. In Ezekiel 37, beginning in verse 21, Ezekiel 37, verse 21, we read, Then say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations, wherever they have gone, and I will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land, and I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. And one king will be king over them all, and they no longer shall be two nations, nor shall they ever be divided into two kingdoms again. They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols. Now this, is, again, is a prophecy for the future. This has not yet happened. They're going to be, after the end-time captivity, they're going to be gathered together, the remnants of Israel and Judah, and brought into the land of Palestine, as it's called, land of Canaan, or the land that God gave to Israel after they came out of Egypt. And they will never again be divided into two kingdoms. There will be a unified kingdom under Jesus Christ and under King David. And they, it says, will, will not defile themselves anymore with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned, and I will cleanse them. Then they shall be my people, and I will be their God. David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd, and they shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. Then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwelt, and they shall dwell there, and they and their children, their children's children, forever. My servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. Notice, speaks again of the covenant that will be made with the people of Israel and Judah. And I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My tabernacle shall also be with them. God will be dwelling in their midst bodily. Indeed, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So Israel will be, will be brought out of captivity, made one nation, will be delivered from their sins, and they will walk in God's judgments and observe his statutes, as we're told here very specifically. In Ezekiel 36, verse 16, Ezekiel 36, beginning in verse 16, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it, by their own ways and deeds. To me, their way was like the uncleanness of a woman in her customary impurity. Therefore, I poured out my fury on them for the blood that they had shed on the land and for their idols with which they had defiled it. So I scattered them among the nations and they were dispersed throughout the countries. I judged them according to their ways and their deeds. 
Now, why was Israel punished? Why was Israel anciently sent into uh, national captivity? Well, because of what it said here, they walked according to their own ways. Not God's ways, but their ways, their customs. Contrary to God's laws. They did not keep his commandments. They were judged and scattered among the nations as a result of their ways and their deeds. In going on in verse 24 of Ezekiel 36, verse 24, it says, For I will take you from among the nations. I will gather you out of all countries and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you. And this is speaking figuratively. actually of the Holy Spirit and you shall be clean and I will cleanse you from all your filthiness from all your idols I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And so God will put his spirit into the people under the new covenant, and they will walk in his statutes and judgments. Ezekiel 11 and verse 12, Ezekiel 11 and verse 12, you shall know that I am the Lord, for you have not walked in my statutes nor executed my judgments, but have done according to the customs of the Gentiles, which are all around you. So the Israelite peoples are to be punished because they do not walk in God's statutes and judgments, but according to Gentile customs. Now, where do many of the religious customs of modern popular Christianity come from? Where do, for example, holidays such as Christmas, Easter, Halloween come from? You won't find these customs anywhere in the Bible because they are not biblical customs. They are not based on God's statutes and judgments. These holidays and many other customs that you find in popular Christianity are Gentile in origin, and it doesn't take much research to learn that. Look up Christmas, Easter, Halloween, and just about any encyclopedia and tell you very clearly where, where these customs came from. Their practices borrowed from pagan idolatry, and so it is with many of the customs and teachings among nations who are largely descended from the people of Israel or other nations that profess to be Christian or to some degree or another profess Christianity, at least historically. Of course, in this, in this country in particular, we're getting farther and farther from the idea that we are a Christian nation, and in fact, that's become almost something that is uh, forbidden to, to uh, even consider nowadays, but it doesn't take much uh, going back in history very far to see that we were and have considered ourselves a Christian nation in terms of popular Christianity, not necessarily the Christianity of the Bible, but 
from its inception, this nation has predominantly followed the popular Christianity as far as its religion is concerned. But again, these customs, many of them are not biblical customs, and even the, the, the teachings that are biblical have often been ignored by the people, just as they were in ancient Israel and Judah. In Ezekiel 11, beginning in verse 17, Ezekiel 11, verse 17, Therefore say, Thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples, assemble you from the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. And they will go there, and they will take away all its detestable things and all its abominations from there. Then I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. And the contrast here is... is uh, uh, between, so, so to speak, figuratively a heart of stone as opposed to a human, you know, what you might call a human heart that can be reasoned with and fashioned and shaped as God wants to shape it, but it will be his spirit working in them that will do this. And it says, uh, continuing, they, that they may, notice why this will be done, that, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. So what, what is this, what does this amount to? This new heart, this new spirit, it is so that they will walk in God's statutes and his judgments, the laws that we read about in scripture, the laws that God gave to Israel at Mount Sinai, the 10 commandments and ancillary commandments. But as for those whose hearts follow the desire of their detestable things and their abominations, I will recompense their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. So God will give them his spirit, a new heart, and instead of walking according to Gentile customs in idolatry, they will walk in God's statutes and keep his judgments. Now receiving a new heart and a new spirit requires repentance it requires repentance and that is the primary reason that God is going to bring the nations through the tribulation and the day of the Lord is to bring them to the point where they're prepared and ready to repent in Ezekiel 18 Ezekiel 18, verse 30, it says, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, every one according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn away from all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Notice that God t tells us if we want a new heart and a new spirit, we must repent for why should you die O house of Israel for I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies says the Lord therefore turn or repent and live Ezekiel 36 beginning in verse 26 Ezekiel 36 verse 26 we read I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you 
I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Notice again that God is going to do this through his spirit and the result will be that they will walk in his statutes and his judgments that you may dwell in the land which I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. I will multiply the fruit of your trees and the increase of your fields so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine among the nations. Then you will consider your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. Deuteronomy 29, beginning verse 1. Deuteronomy 29, verse 1. These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant which he made with them in Horeb, now Moses called all Israel and said to them, this was basically a repeat of the original covenant. You've seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to his land. The great trials which your eyes have seen, the signs and those great wonders. Yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive, eyes to see and ears to hear to this very day. So here we see the weakness of the old covenant. The weakness of the old covenant was not the law. The flaw, the fault with the old covenant was not the laws that were given. It was the people. The people did not have deep spiritual insight, most of them. Most of them did not have the eyes to see, the ears to hear. They were lacking in comprehension. They did not have hearts amenable to God's deeds, deeds and his ways. They were carnal. They were carnally minded. They did not have his spirit. Most had never really repented of their sins, which is the first step to genuine spiritual understanding. Notice what we read in Proverbs 1 and Notice this is in the Old Testament, Proverbs 1 and verse 23. Turn at my rebuke, in other words, repent. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. In other words, if one repents, then God grants his spirit and then his words become comprehensible then they would have eyes to see and ears to hear and they would perceive the truth. But they did not do that. Going on, it says, because I've called you and you refused. God called Israel, called the people out of slavery, gave them his laws, pleaded with them to obey, but they refused. I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded because you disdained all my counsel and would have none of my rebuke. Going on in verse 25 of Proverbs 1, it says, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear 
of the Lord. God, God had told them what he expected of them and what fearing God meant. But they, that's not what they chose to do. And it goes on to say, they would have none of my counsel and despised my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. In Deuteronomy 29, Deuteronomy 29, verse 14, it says, I make this covenant and this oath not with you alone, but with him who stands here with us today before the Lord uh, our God, as well as with him who is not here with us today. So this covenant was not just a covenant for that generation, but generations to come as well. For you know that we dwelt in the land of Egypt and that we came through the nations which you passed by and you saw their abominations and their idols which were among them, wood and stone, silver and gold, so that there may not be among you man or woman, family or tribe, whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations, and that there may not be among you a root bearing bitterness or wormwood. And so it may not happen when he hears the words of this curse that he blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace even though I follow the dictates of my heart as though the drunkard could be included with the sober. The Lord would not spare him, for then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy would burn against that man and every curse that is written in this book would settle on him and the Lord would blot out his name from under heaven. Deuteronomy 29, verse 24, it says, All nations would say, Why has the Lord done so to this land? What does the heat of his great anger mean? Then people would say, Because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord God of their fathers, which he made them with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. For they went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods that they did not know and that he had not given to them. God promises destruction to any who walks after the imagination of his own heart. And that warning is repeated over and over again in the scriptures. The same principle applies under the new covenant. And the new covenant is not about having license to keep one's own traditions and one, one's own customs contrary to scripture. It is not about giving permission to walk in the imagination of one's own heart. That's not what the new covenant is about. But that's the idea that many people have because they've been taught lies. But following that course, the same course that Israel followed even though they had promised to obey God, that course can lead only to disaster, as God warned. In Deuteronomy 30, beginning in verse 1, Deuteronomy 30 and verse 1, Now it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today. Notice the setting here. These are the people who have been scattered to the nations, driven out of their own land because of their rebellion. And then they begin to consider and 
begin the process of repentance. It says that they will call these things to mind and you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today. Not some different set of commandments, but the very same commandments that were commanded that day, in that time. You and your children with all your heart and with all your soul that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. Then in verse 6 it says, The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And then in verse 8 it says, you will again obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments which I command you today. Notice this isn't different commandments. These are the same commandments that they had not been obedient to. But having come back from captivity, having been circumcised of heart, then they will obey those very same commandments. And the Lord your God will make you abound in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, in the produce of your land for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good as he rejoiced over your fathers if you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which are written in the book of the law the commandments written in this book of the law. And if you turn to the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul. So again, the setting is yet future. Israel will be brought to repentance through a captivity when the curses referred to in the former chapter are carried out. God will circumcise their hearts, which implies the new covenant and they will do which commandments? The commandments, he said, which I command you today, the commandments written in the book of the law. Now, the apostle Paul, as mentioned earlier, knew that circumcision of the heart meant keeping God's laws. In Romans 2, beginning with verse 25, Romans 2 and verse 25 Paul wrote, circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? Will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. And the word translated fulfills here, in verse 27 is the Greek word teleo, which means 
in this context to bring to fruition or to put into effect the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law is not so much how the law is kept but whether it is kept is it merely written on paper or parchment or is it or on a tablet of stone or is it written in the mind and the heart in Acts 10 verse 35 34 Acts 10 verse 34 it says Peter opened his mouth and said in truth I perceive that God shows no partiality but in every nation whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him whoever fears God and works righteousness which means obeying his laws is accepted and so a Jew spiritually speaking is not one who was born of a particular lineage or who is circumcised of flesh but a Jew spiritually is one who has his uh, has had his heart circumcised who has repented and been cleansed and purified cleansed and purified and obeys God God obeys his laws in Acts 11 and verse 18 speaking of Gentiles being converted in Acts 11 verse 18 it says when they heard these things they became silent and they glorified God saying God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life Gentile converts were being granted repentance unto life now this had been the case previously but not to nearly to the same extent as occurred after uh, Jesus Christ's death and resurrection and he sent the apostles out to preach the gospel to the entire world and uh, any who were willing to hear the gospel and repent were granted eternal life well one sticking point in obeying God's commandments one of the primary ones, more perhaps more than some of the others, is the Sabbath. So what about the Sabbath under the New Covenant? Is the Sabbath required to be kept under the New Covenant, or is God, does God erase that commandment from his set of laws? In Ezekiel 20 and verse 15, Ezekiel 20 and verse 15, we read, I raised my hand in an oath to them in the wilderness that I would bring in them into the land which I had given them, flowing with milk and honey, the glory of all lands, because they despised my judgments and did not walk in them, but profaned my Sabbaths, for their heart went after their idols. Nevertheless, my eye spared them from destruction, and I did not make an end of them in the wilderness. But I said to their children in the wilderness, Do not walk in the statutes of your fathers, nor observe their judgments, nor defile yourselves with their idols. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes, keep my judgments, and do them. Hallow my Sabbaths, and they will be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. Notwithstanding the children rebelled against me, they did not walk in my statutes and were not careful to observe my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them, but they profaned my Sabbaths. Then I said I would pour out my fury on them and fulfill my anger against them in the wilderness. So notice that 
God specifically emphasizes the Sabbath commandment that they were not willing to obey. They were not willing to obey any of the commandments, but especially he mentions and emphasizes that they defiled the Sabbath. In Ezekiel 20, verse 32, he said, What you have in your mind shall never be when you say we will be like the Gentiles, like the families in other countries serving wood and stone. So the people of Israel, having been given God's laws and entered into the covenant with God, broke those laws habitually, and they broke his Sabbaths. They wanted to be like the Gentiles. So God scattered them into captivity, it goes, as it goes on to tell us in Ezekiel 20, beginning verse 34. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you are scattered with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, and with pour, fury poured out. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples, and there I will plead my case with you face to face, just as I pleaded my case with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt. So I will plead my case with you, says the Lord God. I will make you pass under the rod and will bring you into the bond of the covenant. Here it's the new covenant. This is yet future, this part of it. And I will purge the rebels from among you and those who transgress against me. And I will bring them out of the country where they dwell, but they shall not enter the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. God will purge rebels out from those that he brings out of captivity so that only those prepared to listen to God and obey will be ultimately repatriated to their land. Goes on to say in verse 43 of Ezekiel 20, there you shall remember your ways and all your doings with which you were defiled and you shall loathe yourselves in your own sight because of all the evils that you have committed. So they will bring the people of Israel under the bond of the new covenant they will loathe themselves for their evil deeds, including breaking the Sabbaths, and God will pour out his spirit on them. As it says in Ezekiel 39, beginning verse 23, Ezekiel 39, verse 23, the Gentiles shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity because they were unfaithful to me. Therefore, I hid my face from them. I gave them into the hand of their enemies, and they all fell by the sword. This is what's prophesied for the peoples of Israel and Judah in the latter days. According to their uncleanness, according to their transgressions, I have dealt with them and hidden my face from them. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, now I will bring back the captives of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel. And I will be jealous for my holy name after they have borne their shame and all their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me when they dwelt safely in their own land and no one made them afraid when I brought them back from the peoples and gathered them out of their enemies' lands and I am hallowed in them in the sight of many nations, then they shall know that I am the Lord their God who sent them into captivity among the nations and also brought them back to their land 
and left none of them captive any longer. And I will not hide my face from them anymore, for I shall have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, says the Lord God. So God will bring the people out of captivity, giving them his spirit, a new heart and a new mind. Now, remember what we read earlier about how they treated the Sabbath in past times. And notice the difference in how the Sabbath will be treated after they are brought back from captivity. In Ezekiel 22 and verse 26, we were reading about where they were disobedient. Her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and unholy, nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbath so that I am profaned among them. But after restoration and receiving the Holy Spirit, being brought into the bond of the new covenant, we see a different attitude and different behavior. In Ezekiel 44 and verse 23, Ezekiel 44 and verse 23, then, this is speaking of the time in the future, when they have entered into the new covenant, they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the unholy and cause them to discern between the clean, the unclean and the clean. In controversy, they shall stand as judges and judge according to my judgments. They shall keep my laws and my statutes in all my appointed meetings, and they shall hallow my Sabbaths. They shall hallow my Sabbaths. In Isaiah 56, beginning in verse 1, it says, Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come. Notice the time setting here of this prophecy. Keep justice and do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come, and my righteousness about to be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man who lays hold on it, who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people, nor let the eunuch say, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and holds fast my covenant, even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Also the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord to be his servants, every one who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant. Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. The burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted. On my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, Yet I will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him. But again, notice the, set, the setting of this prophecy. This is when salvation is about to come. In other words, it's our time. And Sabbath keeping is spoken of in the context of holding fast 
to the new covenant. Nothing is said about Gentiles being physically circumcised in connection with the new covenant, but keeping the Sabbaths is specifically connected with entering into the new covenant relationship with God. The Sabbath is at the heart of God's law, and it is at the heart of his system of worship. The Sabbaths identify God as the creator God. They picture his plan of salvation for mankind. Hence, they are an integral part of the new covenant. So what was changed about the law in the new covenant? What God has wanted from the beginning is not physical sacrifices and offerings as an end in themselves, but what he has wanted is his law within our hearts. As we read in Psalm 40, verse 6, Psalm 40, verse 6, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O God, and your law is in my heart. That's what God has wanted from the beginning. And what we find becoming obsolete is the covenant, not the commandments. The covenant where the people of Israel entered into an agreement with God, but they remained carnal, carnally minded. They were not required entering into that covenant to repent. They had not received, most of them, the Holy Spirit. And they continued walking in their rebellion because they were not spiritually motivated. They were not really, uh, they, they did not have those laws written in their hearts and minds through the power of the Spirit of God. That's the main difference between the two covenants. We read in Hebrews 9 and verse 1, Hebrews 9 and verse 1, Then indeed even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service in the earthly sanctuary. It goes on to tell more about that in verse 9 of Hebrews 9. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience, concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances, imposed until the time of the Reformation. So what God gave to the Israelites was his law in a particular form and fashion and with uh, physical sacrifices and so forth. But the thing that was missing was the Spirit of God was not within the people's hearts and minds. They had the symbolic things that represented God's way of life, but they lacked the full package, the, the spirit that would make it work to where they would actually keep their word and obey. So it's the ordinances of divine service that are affected by the new covenant as far as the change in the law is concerned. 
that that's primarily what has affected the ordinances of divine service. We read in Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 8, Hebrews 10 and verse 8, previously saying sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them which are offered according to the law, that's the old covenant. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Those physical sacrifices of the old covenant symbolized se several things, but the primary thing that they symbolized was the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the offering of his body. So what is taken away under the new covenant are the physical sacrifices, that sacrificial system with its physical priesthood and physical temple and the ordinances which established them as a part of the law of the old covenant. Now that temple will be restored, the physical priesthood will be restored but under different conditions. But none of this affects the Ten Commandments and ancillary laws that are deeply spiritual in nature. The Sabbath and the other commandments are not taken away, but they are written in our hearts under the new covenant, which means that they are to be obeyed from the heart. And so God's will through that change is established. Now in Hebrews 4 and verse 9, Hebrews 4 and verse 9, it says there remains a rest for the people of God. A rest is from the Greek word sabbatismos, which means Sabbath keeping. Sabbath keeping remains. And the Sabbath prefigures the millennial period of rest for the world, uh, for the world from 6,000 years of wearisome toil under Satan's evil influence. Every single one of the Ten Commandments is confirmed as obligatory for Christians in the New Testament. Just look them up. Look up the commandments in the New Testament. Look up murder. Look up idolatry. Look up adultery. Look up lust, stealing. See what the New Testament says about those laws. There's no permission anywhere in the New Testament to break those laws with impunity. What was law and what was sin and law breaking 3,000 years ago? Idolatry, murder, stealing, lying, covetousness, and yes, Sabbath breaking are still sins today. And so if we want to be in God's kingdom, then we must strive diligently to keep the commandments of God from the heart. Let no one tell you any differently.